And welcome to another episode of Point of More Returns. I am your gracious co-host, the masked investor. And with me, we have Wall Street C. Wall Street C, talk to us. What is new? Oh, man. What's new? Just looking for deals, dealing with the headaches of... If you're in a deal, you know, you're dealing with the challenges of trying to get the deal done. If you're not, you're looking for a deal, trying to get one. So just, you know, same old, same status quo, but all is well on my on my end, man. Sounds good. Sounds like there's been some up and downs for you in the deal market, which is kind of typical, right? Especially around this time of year as people are rushing to get things across the finish line. You have deals that get uh, discounts, you get deals that get squeezed, and then you get deals that just get cut all together on a matter of factors. But in keeping with the theme, today's episode, we're going to be talking about a little bit more about how things are changing in the deal market for you real estate investors and real estate portfolio holders out there. So in particular, there's been a number of developments that have been happening here recently with new products coming to market, new types of companies, and also just the advent of new technologies that have entered the market space. And as a result, we expect some change and some turmoil to happen over the next year, in the next couple of years. And so today we wanted to just have a talk with the masked investor here with the Wall Street C. I'm sorry about that. And just get his take on, you know, what he thinks is going to happen and what he's going to do in strategy wise to adjust to some of these new vehicles out here. So the first thing we want to try to point out to is there on WeFunder right now, there's a new company that we were talking about over the past week and two called Z House. And so Z House for those out there, it's just a patented platform that helps people buy homes digitally and help achieve home ownership through sharing equity. And so sent this over to Wall Street C, just wanted to get his take, first of all, about what does this just do? I mean, is this even something that you think is going to be viable? What What is your take on this, first of all? Yeah, thanks for that. And just for the listeners, for the record, like this is not an ad. We're not compensated. We don't receive any type of like kickback incentive, anything. I'm mentioning whatever companies we discussed today is just, a matter of literally like us, like discovering like these different digital platforms, crowdfunds, et cetera. But to, to answer your question, I think in terms of like the digital, like real estate investment platforms, I think there's going to, as the ease of technology allows like people to like ramp up and like start businesses and the, the, the ease of like crowdfunding and like syndication and pooling funds, I think it's just going to continue to be a proliferation of like these types of companies, right? I think there's going to be more syndication, but specifically talking about the the equity piece, like allowing someone to, I guess, use equity as leverage, like with the home. It's interesting concept. I like the idea of it. The execution gives me a little bit of pause if I'm one of the the actual people that's living in the home and I'm like sharing, letting like letting others share like with the equity piece. Like I get it, like in terms of affordability, it makes sense. Like they're trying to make it like a little bit more fair, like some parity, like equity, all those like terms. Right. But I just, and maybe because it's still relatively new, it's like, I don't know how successful it is in terms of for the, the actual, I don't even know the term for it, but the person that's going to actually be living in the home and allowing others to participate in the equity piece. I mean, the homeowner would 
be allowed to like get some uptick like a bump but i just i don't know in terms of the execution like i would have to do a little bit more research to to say if i think it's a, a good deal or a, a bad deal but i like the idea of it like philosophically speaking i think it it should work but i think it's in the details like what are the terms how does it work like can you buy the equity back like it's just a, a couple of things i would want to i want to think through before i would sign up for something like that but i mean from from what you read about it like what what are your thoughts on it yeah so when i took a look at it the first thing i just wanted to look at is just okay wow here's something that's looking to try to solve a big problem right now, and that's affordability in the homeownership market, right? So I'm all for that, right? That it was going to be a great idea. But as you dig into it, if you look at some of the math on it, it's not that much of a difference. Yeah, it gets you into a house, I think, at a lower price point, right? So I think in order to buy the equity, you can get in as little as 5% down and you own the home, but then you still have to pay a, a rent, out to the investors. So kind of how it works from their end, they were saying that like the buyer applies, see how screens you. As an investor, you review it, the property closes, and then the investors get shares in the property too, right? And so what happens is, and I, you, you were talking about this a little, you know, yesterday when we were doing, I mean, earlier in the week when we were doing pre-planning for the show, pre-production in terms of how, you, even though you'll have a little bit of the equity, you don't have the total equity amount, you're still able to participate in the upside, right? As the equity appreciates. But the, the downside to that is as it appreciates, if you want to own the house, you have to go out on the marketplace and buy the shares from existing shareholders in order to own 100% of the property. And so all in all, I, I don't know, you, you have to kind of sit down and do the model and the math to see if it actually turns out to be a better deal on the long run. Up front, obviously it is, but in the long run, does it turn out and be better for you? I, I, I don't I don't know if that's that's the case or not, but you'll have to dig into a little bit more to see. Well, in terms of like when it does catch on though, I mean, considering that, you know, house prices are where they are and yeah, we'll have some, some downturn in prices. Like I saw a report today where they were saying that, you know, prices were, were already down like four to seven percent nationwide right for the year expected to go down again it's all in all by the time you know the next generation you know our children the children out there of our listeners get ready to go out or even you know a couple of years from now i think you know house affordability is still going to be a, a really thorny issue so if you see something like this ticking on let's see that somebody starts it starts catching on how do you think that would impact the market like do you foresee it or a situation where it makes it harder for you to to get into homes negligible effect what's your thoughts there well as an I'm investor gonna answer that, but here, here here's my here's my i guess concern like here's the crux of the whole like is it is it actually making a difference right because that's that's the spin on it it's like hey, someone can have equity participation in their home, right? And so to your point, like, yeah, there's a portion of equity, but in the long haul, will someone be able to buy back the equity? Like, what are the terms of it? Like, will they have to go get a bank loan to try to buy it back? Like, how difficult will that be? Like, are we expecting them to have cash? It was like, I feel like it's almost, and, I, and again, I haven't done the full research. So this is just 
like one person's opinion, but I feel like the, the upside is really just that really small piece of equity you would get up front. So it there is upside, but I don't know if that's enough for it to really be deemed like, hey, the person feels liberated and they feel like they're the full homeowner. Like that's, that's the part that I'm not sure about. And the only time we'll tell to get, you know, more people in these homes and see like the performance of it and see if they're satisfied with the deal that, that they're in, like, that's what's really like ultimately going to tell the story. Right. It seems like more of a high, and that's pretty much what it is as a co-ownership, right? So it's a hybrid model from rent to own versus whereas before where you rent to own and at the end you had an option to actually purchase the home. This one, you are an ownership stake in it from the beginning. You're still a renter, but you're a renter who owns the asset that you're renting, which that's the other thing too, is I guess that brings a question to mind. Do you get dividends from your own rental payment? That'd be interesting to see too. But all in all, you know, I'm for it. I think it introduces an interesting mix. When we already got rent to own, I think this is a, a, you know, a step in the, better direction as opposed to, you know, you rent it and then at the end you got an option to buy it, but you know, it, it just depends on what the terms are at the end of that end of the contract. Even here, it's, you still don't know because the house could have appreciated over five years and those equity shares, though they were $10, you know, when you got in and now they're $20 a share to purchase back at, you know, how do you come up with the money? I guess you go to the bank and get a loan still or, uh, it's just interesting to see, but all in all, the other thing though, it does allow you to, okay, I'm, I'm in this house, but you know, the neighborhood's kind of going to kaput, but you know, I, I want to stay put, but it's an opportunity to buy shares in other homes. Right. So, you know, you may not want to buy totally a whole property in your own house. You can take that money and spread it out and buy it in a, you know five different houses. And so instead of you owning hundred percent of just one house, in a neighborhood, you've got five houses across the nation. You own 20% in this, 20% in another one, 20% in a house in LA. So it, it does have that effect too, I think. So that could possibly be an option too. Any thoughts on that? Does that well well that's that's the last piece you said is very interesting. So when you're when you're describing it with like the, the fractional shares with like the different properties, like would that still be from the homeowner or are you more so speaking from like the small investor standpoint? Like, hey, I have a thousand bucks, let me put into this platform and they're gonna like diversify with different properties, or are you more so saying like the homeowner that's paying into which are which treated like rents, but they'll take the rents and like spread it out on your behalf and that's what you're fractional shares are is that what you're saying well yeah i was thinking from from both obviously or from both standpoints right so from the owner right instead of you saying okay and i'm i want to buy 100 percent of this home and own it free and clear outright right which does have some risk right you can spread that out and instead of just having 100 percent of your single family home you got 20% in a house of your home, 20% in the neighbor's house, 20% in some house in LA, you know, and instead of you got five homes that they're all appreciating on. So you still have, you know, $150,000, $200,000 in equity or, you know, whatnot, right? But it's just spread out as opposed to in just one asset, right? So if your market just goes in the tank, you know, like, like right now, You've got, you know, assets, markets like Atlanta and Colorado, things like that, that are down. But, you know, state of Florida is still appreciating, right? Because people are still moving there. 
got markets like Seattle that are still appreciating. So, you know, if you only had 100% in one market, you're down right now. But if you spread that out, you're still kind of balanced out and you're kind of good to go. So it just gives you an option, I think, that to do that. Um, so I guess lastly, the, the, the last thing to, to ask you about here is if from a, from you as an investor standpoint, does this come into play for your strategy for you? And would you take advantage of something like this in your portfolio? Or, you know, let's say you bought a house, would you put it on a marketplace like this and see it as a possible way to get some liquidity from your house? What are some strategies in terms of how you think it may impact you? Yeah, that's so good. Um, so, okay, let me say one thing before I answer. So this is just me playing like the the other side of the coin, right? Mm -hmm. And again, I think, it, I think it's somewhat noble. Like it's almost like a we win, you win type of situation. So I think like approaching business that way is like always good, right? But I guess my argument is like, okay, I have a I have a portfolio of properties that have like some residents in there. What's the difference between doing that and like saying, hey, if you continue to pay your lease, like I'll buy like a public REIT on your behalf of your like liking or picking. And then it's like you still participate in equity and it's still it's going to be more diversified than whatever this fund is if it's like a public REIT. Right. So I don't know. I mean, I'm just throwing something else out there because. What you're describing, I mean, it's it's almost like if it if it's, it turns into okay, well, this person on this block, this person on this block. I mean, it's kind of like just a it's a refresh of the same exact thing. It's like a like a CDO all over again, right? Mm -hmm. And CDO collateralized debt obligation when we say CDO. So I don't know. I mean, it's interesting, right? I'm not saying it's. I think it's. I, I like the idea of it, right? I reserve the right to wait until <laughs> see what the performance is on this thing, but. I think it I think it's a different take on it. So I, I can appreciate that. But I just wonder at the end of the day, it's like it's still gonna like result to be the same thing. Cause it's like, I mean, how how much of a spin can we do? Like financial instrument can only do so much, right? It's either debt or it's either equity. Um so I don't know, man. I I'm curious to see how it plays out. But, but to answer your question, how is it impacting me? I mean, in my mind, what would I try to participate that? And like my portfolio, I'm not, I'm not there yet to do like anything of that level. I don't want to say it's overly sophisticated, but it's definitely not the way that I'm trying to like build out my business. How it would potentially impact me is like, I'm not looking to do this, but if I was trying to do syndication, that would be competition, right? So if I'm trying to go raise funds and I'm trying to like build out like my own like fund and get people to invest with me and I, I, I run the operation, be like the general partner of it, then that's just like increased competition on that level. But I'm not looking at syndication route, but how does it impact me now? Potentially is I'm competing with the larger funds to try to get deals done. Right. So um, not to jump ahead, because I know it's some, some other things that we're going to talk about that all ties in, but the, the digital platforms, I mean, it's, I think it's only going to increase. And I think it's going to be probably some consolidation over time, like only the best um, well-diversified, well-capitalized funds are, are going to survive, but I think it's going to continue to pop up because the ease of technology and people are looking for more of a passive approach to put their funds like, um, so for me, it trickles down as like, well, it's going to be, I'm competing against these type of firms to try to get deals done, essentially like buy properties, get them rented. I think. So that's how it impacts me on that level. But I just think for someone who's listening to this is like, is worried. It's like, well, it just really depends on what your strategy is. Like my investment strategy right now, eh, 
I'm probably more so going up against like mom and pie investors, like maybe some funds in like these sub markets that I'm going into, but I'm not in the major metro areas necessarily. Now, when they branch out, when they saturate, then yeah, I'm going to deal with that increased competition. But I feel like I probably have a little bit more time for the the big players coming to the, like the cities and, and towns that I'm I'm in right now. So sticking to the rivers and lakes that you're used to. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Like we have to carve out like having investment criteria, all the stuff we've talked about in some of the other pods. Like this is why it's so crucial and important because the sharks are circling, man. <laughs> like not not to spread fear or anything like that, but I mean it's just the nature of it. So have they have to be more crafty more thoughtful, bring more ingenuity, and I think you'll be okay. Okay, understood. Okay, so next up was another one that we talked about in brief. This is called Red Swan. Most of the platform, though, is focused on CRE, but when we were looking through some of the offerings, we noticed something that was very interesting and that, I guess, Wall Street Seed, you can talk a little bit about the what we saw. Yeah, so, okay, the platform now, was this the crowd? I, I know we looked at a couple of it. Like, was it the crowd funding one? Oh, no, this was the one with the neighborhood that they were building, build to rent. Oh, rent, right? the build to lease thing. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Okay. So this is another one. This is, I don't, I don't necessarily think of this as much as it is competition, but not directly because I'm not looking to develop like properties and definitely not like developing 1500 units at a time, but as the affordability issue continues to be a concern in the country is like developers are realizing like, hey, we can just build to lease. And this isn't a new concept by any means. I just think there's heightened interest in it because like the affordability is just like people are paying attention to what's going on in the market and they see opportunity and they're seizing on it essentially. So um, like the build to lease piece, I know like the Atlanta market, there have been several articles about like the increase in build to lease and like developers are coming in like, oh, we have this, this new section where we're just, we're building homes, but we're not going to sell them. Like we're going to like hold on to it and lease it. And they're probably still doing some type of, they're still probably getting investors and all that to like get the deals done. But just there's a, a heightened interest in like continuing to try to have ownership of these properties and just lease them. And affordability, I think, is a huge reason why. I mean, the reality is even if they're like leasing them, like they could easily decide, hey, we'll sell a block of these. Like, or we'll have a tranche of, you know, out of the hundred, maybe we'll slice out 25 that we're going to sell or whatever, if we want to raise more capital, or we want to get more liquid, or if we want to pay some debt back or whatever it is. But I think this is going to be more of the norm in the future. If I had to guess, it's like the bill to leases is, is going to continue to, to be popular. Okay. And so when you think about the bill to lease, and so they're building a whole neighborhood, they could build a whole neighborhood next to the neighborhood where you're at. Uh, obviously, this is new construction versus you know you got a house that may be built in 19, what 80 right or 88 or 90. Does that bear put anything to bear in terms of like what you could charge or do you think it's do it hold your steady or does it decrease prices? Does it have any impact if they start building those kind of in other neighborhoods? Oh, that's so good. That's a great question. So I mean, it definitely like there's a new sheriff in town, so you. <laughs> You definitely can't charge the same rent as like the brand new building, the brand new shiny, new everything, updates, like whatever flooring, whatever color is like the one at the time. Like, no, 
but it will bring a certain level of awareness to your unit because it's going to be interest in just that particular area. So there are some benefits of it. If you want to charge better rent, you need to update your unit so you can be a little bit more competitive. But from my experience, like, no, you won't be able to charge like top or like market rent if there are a bunch of new construction, like bills all around your unit and it's an older unit. It's like, you know, you better try to give some type of incentive, like, you know, first month off or some other like services, like, I don't know, I'm making up something free dry cleaning or something like to, to make it more attractive to lease. But I mean, or you just realize like, Hey, drop the prices and you just be a little bit below market rent. I mean, it doesn't have to be like this super complex way to compete, but mm -hmm. you definitely have to be mindful of that and, and try to figure out a way to navigate it so you can make sure your place gets like leased. Okay. Okay. And what about in terms of like investor pools moving forward? Do you mention that, yeah, it's not a new idea, but now there's new interest in terms of it. Could this become the wave? Like, could this become something that you see becoming more of a trend or do you think it comes in gradually? Do you think there's a lot of demand for something like this for investors to, to, to bounty up together and, and do a whole development What's your thoughts on that? Oh, it's definitely the wave, man. Um, I don't, I don't know if, and I think we may have talked about this on one of the earlier pods, but like the whole gig economy, the whole subscription economy, like the the Airbnb, like COVID changed a lot of things with people like working from home and realizing like, hey, I don't want to be beholden to just one location. Like geographically, I may want to like move around and still keep like the same job. So all of this, I think, plays a factor in like people may or may not want to necessarily be tied down to just one place. Like maybe it goes to a subscription thing. Maybe it goes to like, well, I can lease here and live somewhere else in 12 months or whatever it is. But and then again, like we've already talked about the affordability piece. So it's a lot of factors at play that's going to impact like the build to lease, the investor pools, um, consumers tastes and preferences, like in terms of like owning versus renting, like what is the actual trade-off? Like in certain points of the economy, it makes more sense to own. In certain points in the economy, it makes more sense to rent. And it's always like this um, seesaw in terms of like where we are and what particular period of time we are in with the economy in terms of like the benefits of owning versus leasing, but just in terms of wages. And we've talked about that in other pods, like wages versus like affordability, like until that like gap like closes or like comes in at, at some point, I don't, I don't see it changing in terms of like the attraction to lease. And I oh. think you had that stat in like one of the other pods. It's like back in the day, it was like, what, two times your salary to like own a home. Now it's like five or something like that. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, um, so yeah, if I'm, if it costs me five times and I just, I don't have the means like, yeah, leasing is gonna, is gonna be more attractive. So no, I don't, I don't think it's gonna change unless there's some type of legislation or just some type of like shift unforeseen shift in terms of like wages or like affordability or like how expensive like i don't know i i don't know but what what do you think about about that piece well i was taking a look at the property itself and quick question for you do you know what the average home residential investor rate of return is is that something that you have or no but like a 
typical like residential real estate investor. No, but I yeah, mean, so I guess I understand oh, for like an average cash yield, right, on your property. So if I, you know, put I bought a house for a hundred thousand dollars annually, what what's the net that you're targeting right now? Well, the argument would be right, like if we're going off of what at least the average is like. Well, you can take that money and put in S and P or some type of index. So it's like at least five, six, seven percent, like between okay. five. Because if not, it's like just put your money in the index and like sleep. Okay, you know, go to sleep. You don't. So you probably need to get higher than the index. So maybe eight, nine, ten percent. Like mm -hmm. ten is probably really healthy. Like I don't, I don't think most people are getting ten percent. But I also don't think like the average investor is tracking that either. But Okay. I'll look at a cash on cash return when I like do the initial analysis, but I'm not necessarily benchmarking it against every year of what like the S&P. Maybe I should now that we're talking about it, but no, I'm not benchmarking it to like the S&P. Yeah. Well, I asked because I'm just looking at the stats for this offering for the community that they have here. It's called Spring Hill, Kansas for our listeners out there. Right now, they're targeting an investor IRR of 20%, targeted average cash yield of 5.4%, and a targeted equity multiple of 2.2 times. Now, I don't know you know, what you typically would yield on a normal residential real estate investment, but those returns to me sound pretty, pretty good for overall. If I was to, to be considering an investment like this, and I don't have to do any of the work, I can just put the cash in. A lot of the administrative stuff is taken care of for me. I'm going to sit back, collect 5.4% a year. And then, you know, my multiple is going to be 2.2 times, whatever, at the end of it. So I can expect that to, to appreciate. Just curious if that has any attractiveness to you. Does it sound below market, sub-market? Is it on target for what you're looking at nowadays? Or Yeah, run the numbers again. You said the 5.4, was that cash on cash? What What metric was that? Yeah, 5.4% is going to be your targeted average cash yield. Okay. I mean, that's right in line with what I was saying in terms of <laughs> in terms of like what is going to return S&P. I mean, I guess if you already have money in the index and you're using like a diversification play, I guess, or you just really are passionate about real estate, but I mean, it's a decent return. I mean, you know, you're not, you know, lighting anything on fire, but yeah, I think it's a pretty decent return, especially as, you know, it's passive. Like you're not, you know, fielding calls from the, the resident, you know, who has a water leak or there, you know what I mean? Like right. you're not dealing with, Hey, I'm going to be late on, on the payment this month or, you know, whatever it may be, but. So that's essentially put in a hundred grand, you make about $500 a month, right? That's not bad. Yeah. So yeah, it's not bad. I guess it really just boils down to, well, how do you want to go about it? Right. And so if I'm comparing that to like what I'm doing. Um, I need to be able to generate return higher than that because if not, it doesn't like validate why I'm going through all this stress of like <laughs> trying to find deals and buying the property and getting a property manager and like managing all. So that additional, you know, 5% has to be worth it. And if you're not, then it's like, well, to your point, I was trying to bring you over to the dark side of real estate. It's like, well, I'm getting these returns. I'm okay with these returns. I don't have to deal with like the headache of like owning property. Right. So mm -hmm. Like your investment strategy matters, like your interests matter, like time constraints, all those things matter when, when making those types of decisions, like what you're going to invest in. Right. Okay. So all in all, you feel that the effect is, there's going to be some effect, but I guess kind of similar to the other one, you don't think it's going to really impact the markets that you're operating in. So this would be 
But I don't really call Spring Hill, Kansas a big market, though. So does that play into any bearing as well, you think? or? Mm, I mean, to your point, right? It's like they're looking at they're probably looking at how affordable it is too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're they're being smart. They're picking a market where they feel like someone's done the analysis, someone's done the financials and say, hey, this is a market that is like pretty good upside. Like probably the cost to build is less than expensive, meaning like the materials, labor, all that stuff. And then what they could lease it out for is probably high enough to where they can generate a healthy return, like pay back the investors, cover all of the costs, and then still have enough like for the the general partner to like make some profit off of too. So um but yeah, that's a good point. It's like, well, that's not a large market. Like maybe they're coming to the markets you're investing in and hopefully not, right? <laughs> hopefully not, but we'll see. But yeah, I think I think whatever they're doing, like they're looking at the smaller markets um, to try to cut their teeth, get some wins, get a track record, show proof of concept. And I don't know if they're going to like graduate and go to like a larger market or not. Because maybe, maybe they feel like they're looking at it from like a value investor or like a smaller investor too is like, oh, it's less competition in these smaller markets. Let's just find our sweet spot and stay here type thing. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, interesting. 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 All right. Yeah. And so the last thing I would like to kind of touch on about it also is that the ease with which it these things can be, I guess, well, I wouldn't say ease, but how much faster you mentioned that yeah that it was a new concept right and it's not a new concept it's been around for a while but in the past you know through traditional market you had a longer process to bring something like this about to get it formulated to go out and get the funds for it you're talking about the formation and and getting it to market and getting it closed and then getting it started built you know that could be probably what a number of years right but now with these online platforms, I mean, you can be in front of somebody in a matter of weeks and start raising the funds. And if there's enough eyeballs or enough traffic on these platforms, I mean, you're talking about closing. Typically, you know, you you, you want to have it running out for about a year, right? But if it's something hot or it's a market that has some traction or you got some deep pocket investors, I mean, you could get this thing closed in a couple of months. And then you start coming to market faster. So the thing that I'm just going to talk about there is just speed to market now, right? So instead of it taking longer, it's coming in faster. What are some strategies you think you can be to be a little bit more nimble now that speed to market is starting to become a factor too? Yeah, it's going to be difficult. I don't know if like a, a small investor can like compete with that level of speed, like my only my only rebuttal to that in terms of like what you can do to compete is like know your markets better right mm-hmm. um know the market better know the zip codes know the neighborhoods like like the digi platforms as much like they can use all the technology they want like they're not going to see touch feel like the streets like someone that lives in these neighborhoods or grew up in these neighborhoods they're not going to know like oh like on this particular street like this is not a good street this is a good street like they have like a donut shop on this street. So like, we know like the smell of donuts, like if you don't like the smell of donuts, you're not going to want to live like those, just the nuance of like knowing the neighborhoods. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's the way to compete, but the speed is like, I don't know, because man, the speed and plus like 
you're gonna be well capitalized with these platforms is like that's really tough to compete with like um the other thing i would say besides just knowing neighborhoods is like having the rapport with like the local like professionals like oh the local agent like the local property manager, the local repair team, like they're going to be able to also provide a lot of insights in terms of like, like where to invest, how to invest, who to deal with, who not to deal with that the platforms probably won't have that level of intel either. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, those are some things that we wanted to just kind of touch on that we saw changes happening in the real estate marketplace that could be affecting and impacting investors as they look to maneuver the marketplace in 2024 moving forward and just to be prepared for what's around the corner and have some strategies and just some ideas that you could possibly execute that could help you either benefit from it or at least not get rolled over right but just want to thank you all for tuning in this has been another episode of pointer more returns we look to speaking with you guys again in the new year have a good one <music>